to the um, to the Republican candidate's argument that this should be the voters should have the say and not the courts. Why are you standing with Confederates who betrayed this country? And this is what they're standing with is the spirit of those Confederates rather than the Americans who came together after a long and brutal civil war that was fought to keep the Union together uh, and saw, clearly saw a threat in ex-Confederates running for office, so much so that they amended the Constitution to prevent those traitors from running for office. That should send a message that our election system, our electoral system, can be used for nefarious purposes against the democracy right. itself. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Just a catching strays over here. <laughs> You're in for a hell of a show. Keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. It's time for our main. Welcome back to a big Ruthless Variety program. Fellas, we're getting down to it. It's close to Christmas. We're getting to the end of the year. That's a hell of a take, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point that, you know, sometimes you need to uh, not let an election destroy democracy, and so you have to control it. That's, That's I mean, That's like, right. when she closes with this, I was, like— how is anyone listening to that taking this person serious? Confederacy. Yeah. And and the wildest thing is, it, and it occurred to me after I saw this, I was like, there cannot be anyone with this bad of takes. And then I was reminded, her sister is the president of Harvard. Yeah, there so it the, is. The family business is just bad takes. <laughs> Whoa, <it> <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. Blown away that she's got uh, somewhat of a controversial view on these things. Wasn't uh, wasn't this the woman who uh, said when Bloomberg was running for president uh, because he spent all that money, he spent like $300 million, and then she said instead of running for president, he could have given every American a million dollars? Yeah, that was her. <laughs> like, Not really good at math. Math, not the strong suit at all. Not terrific at it. No, no. An academic, nonetheless. Yeah. An academic, nonetheless. They're not sending their best. They are not sending their best. We've got a lot for you. We're going to cover all of that. Clearly, she was talking about the Colorado Supreme Court decision that removed former President Trump from the 2024 ballot. We're going to get into that. Uh, we'll give you some five stars, as we do. Yeah on Thursdays. Uh, we're going to give you a little Who Won the Week, and then we're going to give you King of the Hill, and then we have an interview, Michael. We do. Uh, Judge Calabrese uh, from Ohio. Um, we've been meaning to do this interview for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, a great guy. A, a huge... Spectacular uh, human. Uh, spe spectacular human. Uh, great friend of the program. Huge minion. Yeah. Um, and an incredible uh, legal mind. And uh, I thought, like, with all of the coverage that, uh, you know, the Trump indictments are getting and, and the schedule of these court cases, that we should actually have, like, an expert, like, somebody who knows the legal process. Yeah, right. Seems like a good idea. Couldn't think of somebody better than him totally to agree. come in and lay out a couple of scenarios of, like, do things get delayed? Do they happen on time? What would sentencing look like? All the, you know, all the questions you might have as a listener or viewer of this show. 
Because there's just rampant speculation. It's Dude. all online. It's everybody's like, oh, this is going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Nobody knows. But yeah. this guy will give you some parameters for, from which to work with. Right. I mean, like, look, there's nothing definitive as of right now. We don't know for sure. But yeah. rather than listening to us sort of guess on this stuff, let's listen to an expert. How about an expert? An expert. Yeah. Yeah. We still believe in those, right, Smug? Yeah. I mean, you got to trust experts. That's what I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start out with segment number one here. It's the Colorado Supreme Court case. This is uh, from CNN. The Colorado Supreme Court made history Tuesday with an unprecedented freezing your tracks ruling that former President Trump is constitutionally ineligible to run in 2024 because of the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding public office. And that would prohibit him from the ballot. It was a 4-3 ruling. It removed Trump from the Republican primary ballot in Colorado, which is scheduled for Super Tuesday in early March. Uh, however, the Colorado justices paused their ruling so Trump can appeal to the United States Supreme Court, which could even preserve his spot on the state's primary ballot if the appeal is settled, uh, settled quickly, which I imagine, honestly, it will. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. In many ways, according to CNN, in many ways, the landmark ruling holds Trump accountable uh, for trying to overturn the 2020 election and provides a political punishment for his anti-democratic behavior. That's in a news story. This is not an opinion piece. Um, the ruling is a massive vindication for liberal groups and constitutional scholars of all stripes. Yeah. I haven't seen the uh, conservative stripes on this, but of all stripes, according to CNN, who champion such a 14th Amendment lawsuit despite their long odds. So let me preface it with this. I was on uh, with Brett Baer last night on Special Report on Fox, and this broke during the program. Yeah. And... We were going to schedule to talk about a whole range of different issues, but this obviously took over the news cycle. So we talked about this, and I learned a, a few things. This was basically championed in the furthest reaches of the left fever swamp. Yeah. This the is, and th as I've been warning folks, this was a left wing dark money group crew mm -hmm. that put forth this lawsuit, and you had a Colorado Supreme Court of all left wing judges, and they got this through. And the first thing they did afterwards is send out fundraising blasts and saying, listen, we got Trump removed off the ballot, but we have to continue the fight. So to make sure, like, I mean, this is what it's come to is not only do you have these left wing groups appointing DAs and prosecutors who, who essentially make crime legal. Now they've gotten to the point where they want to control the Supreme Court of the United States. And this is how they've been going about it, is their attacks on the Supreme Court attacks on Justice Thomas, literal attacks after Chuck Schumer says, you know, he shouts out Chuck Schumer, you, you know, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, you won't know what hit you. And then a left wing lunatic tries to assassinate Kavanaugh. They keep ratcheting it up. You have mobs sent to the houses of justices. The left understands how critically important the Supreme Court is, because like you said, you know, very speedily, they're going to deal with this very stupid situation. Yeah. But all that will then do is further fuel the argument for the left of like, oh, well, the Supreme Court must be the problem. So we got to pack the court. And that's been their end goal. It's like a heads we win, tails you lose. Exactly. <clears throat> One other thing I, I found interesting in that CNN article, and I think it kind of illustrates your point smug, 
is, again here, um, this ruling, quote, provides a political punishment for his anti-democratic behavior. Courts do not provide political punishment. (laughs) Correct. Courts provide legal justice. Mm -hmm. They interpret the law. Yeah. But what this demonstrates is that the left, both the media and these progressive dark money groups that fund lawfare in this country, want our court system to be a political cudgel in order to punish That's their opponents. That's such a good point. It's 100% and, right. And to see that celebrated here by the media, political punishment is just a, a very sad thing, I think, for our legal system and for our, our democracy. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Because it's a, per, it's a complete it's perversion of what the court system is supposed to do. And, and, and honestly, in order to find, first of all, it's the state Supreme Court that's ruling on the constitutionality of something and they're just like far outside of what it is that they're supposed to do here but in order to do what they did they need to find unilaterally president trump guilty of, of being an insurrectionist one of the very few things he hasn't actually been indicted for right over the last year right i mean you can he's been charged with 91 separate things over the last year insurrection He's not one of those things. Yeah. Because the feds, I'm guessing, didn't think they could prove that. But they didn't actually put that in front of the court at all. In fact, there was no actual argument on that whatsoever. There was a lower court that ruled on the side of President Trump because the 14th Amendment itself does not name the office of the president as a part of what they're talking about in terms of they talk about representatives they talk about senators they're talking about Mm -hmm. federal officials they do not talk about the office of president so a strict construction view of the 14th amendment doesn't even have that which is what the lower court ruled the supreme court of colorado said never be never worry about what the constitution says yeah that's not our job here folks we're going to but uh, again that's a technicality i think the bigger issue is you have to find him guilty of something he hasn't even been charged with correct in order to remove him from a ballot is a likely major party nominee once you get into that category of extrajudicial rulings there is no stopping. That Correct. is a slippery slope that, you know, you may love Trump, you may hate Trump, but you can surely see the danger in that. That's the thing is, like you said, he has not been convicted of insurrection. So to be defining him as that to make the ruling is just I mean, the case is built on clouds. There's nothing there to support it whatsoever. And like you said, it's horrific. That we've now entered a, a place in this country where, I mean, it's a state Supreme Court. At the end of the day, that's a very serious institution, and it's become completely well, unserious. It used to be. Well, it used to be. It, this just totally degrades that entire thing and politicizes it, right? Yeah. I mean, like, to your point earlier, Holmes, I mean, this is a very broad reading of, you know, what you would consider insurrection or treason, well, especially I mean, because the Fourteenth Amendment, the only thing that she accurately said in that clip at the top of the of the show was that it was the Fourteenth Amendment because it was put in place to prevent Confederates, right, who had seceded from the Union of the United States of America from running for office 
as part of the states that were now re a part of the union. And you understand sort of the philosophy behind the 14th Amendment. What we saw, if I assume they're talking about January 6th here, is nothing to do with the succession. Is nothing to do with like a a uh, ripping apart of different states of the union. I mean, it's everything to do with a huge disagreement. I look, I'm one of the few that think that that's a big big deal. And I know there's a lot of Republican Party who don't see Jan 6 as anything more than you know the riots of the summer of 2020. I disagree with that. I think there was an important moment in time, and I I have a problem with it. But it's certainly not what they said it was. And if if you have an opportunity to prove that what they said it was is true, you got to do that in the court of law before you can ever just assume that as fact and then foist it upon an entire state where the guy's not even on a ballot. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, you could you could look at that and say aid and comfort to uh, America's enemies. Who has done that? Maybe Joe Biden has done that by giving billions of dollars to Iran and some state Supreme Court. And yep. like, I don't know, maybe Iowa. That's what I'm you know, saying. could That's decide I mean. to like take Biden off the general election ballot there. with the same with the same with exact the exact thing. same thing. Yeah. He hasn't been convicted of any of that in the court of law, but through you know their powers, the state supreme court, they can decide to remove somebody from the ballot. It's it's bonkers. It's bonkers. It yeah. is completely a perversion of justice. But that but that all that being said, this is a boon for Donald Trump. It let's is. not let's not once again let's not forget that like. This is going to be overturned by the United States Supreme Court. I don't think there's any doubt. In I think that. they're going to throw this thing on the fly all the way back to Denver. Right. And I know. And, and so here's the thing: is rightfully so they will. And anyone with, with I think, a functional brain cell can see, yes, the Supreme Court should. I have already begun to see the usual suspects: Sheldon Whitehouse, even Robert Reich is now part of this group, being like, oh well. Number one, you saw Robert Reich openly saying, if we want to get rid of Trump, we got to pack the court, saying that, number one, uh, Clarence Thomas should recuse himself. Like, they are saying yeah. th- we need to have a handpicked court, just like we did in Colorado, to decide if uh, our political enemies are allowed to run but, for yeah, But look, I, I don't think at the end of the day anything that those groups say will impact what the United States Supreme Court does. But what is happening in all of that with this echo chamber is this reinforcement mechanism we've seen this entire year with Donald Trump is right like like the entire Republican universe has to circle the wagons for him we're in the middle of a presidential primary yeah. and now once again the onus is on all of these other candidates to go out and defend Donald Trump and that and that's the thing that that I think what I said on Fox last night is that the group of people who are most disappointed about this decision is his primary opponents yeah because they ran for at least 30 days with the first clean air that they'd had since last March. Right. And they weren't talking about his legal issues. They were talking about issues that impact the American people and differentiating themselves with the former president. And now they're back in the suit. Let me let me read uh, Ron DeSantis's uh, comments here after the Colorado Supreme Court uh, decision, because I think it sort of illustrates the difficult position a lot of these candidates are in. DeSantis says, uh, there was no trial on any of this. They basically just said, you can't be on the ballot. I think the United States Supreme Court is going to reverse that. Here's the larger thing of what the left and the media and the Democrats are doing. They are doing all of this to basically solidify uh, support in the primary for him. Get him Mm -hmm. into the general. 
and the whole general election is going to be all this legal stuff. Look, it's unfair. They're abusing power 100%. The question is, is that going to work? I think they have a playbook that unfortunately will work. It'll give Biden the ability to skate through this thing. That's their plan. That's what they want. What they don't want is to have somebody like me who will make the election not about those other issues, but make the election about the failures of Biden, the failures of the left, and how we're going to be able to turn the country around. Is there anyone, can I, can I pause you on that for a second? Is there anyone breathing air who disagrees with that statement? I don't think, I don't think so. I, I just, I think, um, I think for people who support Donald Trump, they know that, but they think it's still worth the fight. And I empathize with that position, but you can't deny that this next year is going to be full full of all of this sort that's of stuff. the only thing but, but this is the thing is <clears throat> i think there is especially at this moment tremendous merit to the argument that this is now become lawfare is now a part of the left's repertoire this is part of what they plan to deploy whenever there's an election whenever there's a republican i guarantee i mean we already saw what, what what's what's her name the 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 allegedly uh, kind of crazy lady Rebecca Jones in Florida who's been filing all these cases which mm-hmm. everyone knows are completely false she's had cases thrown out I think she's faced charges for a number of these yeah, uh, right. think, the lies that she's had the media run with this is now part of the left and this they, is all against they, DeSantis they, yep they yeah. smear they, they push lawsuits and lawfare uh, they fundraise off of it this is now part of their playbook is that like whenever there's an election well we will unleash uh, the law that's on our side because we've had all these DAs and such that we've gotten elected. Look at like New York. All these lawsuits is essentially they ran on, hey, vote for me if you want me to give Trump a hard time. I, I, I agree. I guess what I would say to that is it seems like all these other candidates are, are hamstrung by asymmetrical warfare on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is because Oh, like what you cite about those frivolous lawsuits against Ron DeSantis. Donald Trump did the same thing against Ron DeSantis. When he launched his campaign, they filed a, a complaint in Florida uh, trying to get him uh, removed from the ballot. Yeah. Um, there are Trump surrogates on Twitter championing this campaign or legal center or whatever, this progressive lawfare group who's filed a complaint uh, alleging coordination between the super PAC and Ron DeSantis's campaign. Yeah. Now, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but that doesn't apply with with Donald Trump. I, every other candidate has to go on television and talk about how things are unfair mm, to Donald Trump. Yeah. And Donald Trump plays both sides of this. He's he is both complaining about the lawfare from the left and engaging in it with his primary. I, I think that's well said, but I also think that it's amazing to me. This is not a new phenomenon for no, those of you who yeah. are, are are like just tuning into politics in the Trump era and you think like, holy smokes, the left has risen up because of Donald Trump and is now engaging in lawfare and everything else to try to win elections. This has been going on forever, forever. Like I I talked about this a little bit on the last episode about how, like I've been a target of this. Mm -hmm. I've been a target of this by by crew, same same outfit yeah. that filed the lawsuit against Donald Trump in Colorado that ultimately won this case filed one against me personally to try to to try to get the Senate Ethics Committee to investigate me. And you know what they did? They did. They did. 
And they spent all this time and resources trying to do it. And at the end of the day, I had to turn over every single thing that I had. And at the end of the day, there was nothing there. And it, I could have told them that from the from the beginning. Yeah, it wasn't they a weren't, single thing. They weren't actually interested. But the that truth, wasn't they just, it. They just wanted to drag you through they the They just wanted yeah. to make me sweat so I couldn't focus on what I needed to do to defeat Democrats. And that's what they're doing right now. In that election. That's what they're doing right now. And, that, and, and that's what they're doing. <laughs> that's what they're doing. You know, I couldn't do my job as a chief of staff for Kentucky and, and and to do it and just for our listeners especially the younger ones who who don't remember all of this you were chief of staff this is back in like 2013 yeah right? yeah like right? 12 13 that well, era. yeah but yeah I guess my point is Democrats controlled the Senate at the time yeah yeah and we were about to go into an election cycle in which we had a great opportunity to take back the Senate yeah 2014 and, and they didn't and they didn't want that and so they tried to, t- to chop the head off a snake right and so that's what that that was. It, this is not new. This has been going on forever. It's how you handle it. And I think based on the last conversation we had on the last episode on this is what bothers me most about Donald Trump is that he's always a victim of circumstance. Everything is like, oh, my gosh, can you believe they're doing this to me? Yeah, I can because I've dealt with it. And everyone that I've known in this level of the hierarchy of power has dealt with it. And if you want to make a difference, you know you have to deal with it. But yet every time it's a surprise it to is these guys. At the same, I mean? <laughs> at the like every time it's like, oh my God, can you believe the left? What the, the lengths that the left is willing to do. At the same time, it's unprecedented for a state Supreme Court to kick off oh, the yeah. leading oh, candidate of off course. the ballot. Yeah. Who this is in a very, country. very different category of things, as is, by the way, like the New York uh litigation against him that's completely different we're talking about way outside the bounds i I would argue that the georgia racketeering case actually is in that same category way outside the bounds of what you typically but it's part of the trajectory that the left has been on for a long time totally you know and not giving them the opportunity is part of being a good candidate and being a good president and that's my problem with where they're at is this fair no but does every other candidate in the field understand what is going on? Of course they do. That's why Ron DeSantis has run Florida the way he has. He's absolutely annihilated the left yeah. because he knows that they're coming at him. And so he just deals with it, just I, nips it off at the butt. Also, for our listeners, I think I, I, I saw a tweet from the Colorado Republican Party who said that if if this doesn't get reversed by the Supreme Court or, or it takes too long to sort of litigate, that they, they would move it to a caucus. Uh, At a later date? Yeah, and and because that caucus would be controlled by the state party, I don't think the Supreme Court would have any... They don't have any say. Any say. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So ultimately, I do not think this will matter. I also saw some ShamWow there. Oh, oh uh, uh, Vivek? Yeah, I saw some yeah, shamwow. Yeah, v- Vivek, uh, sort of similar to after the Mar-a-Lago indictment where he went down to Florida and he held out, held up his TPS report where he's like, <laughs> everybody, join, everybody me. join me in my pledge to pardon Donald Trump or whatever. Uh, he said he would remove himself from the, the, the state ballot in solidarity with, with Donald Trump, which, I mean... Oh, it's a sure, decent, it's sure. A political, it's a political sure. thing. But 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 if you look at the body of work from Vivek, it just looks like another one of these things where he's looking for a moment, you know. And, and it's like, well, that three percent could be spent elsewhere. I'm just increasingly convinced this entire operation is a stalking horse for Donald Trump himself. Yeah. And 
I don't know. But also, I, I uh, quickly, I also want to add, within the past couple hours, uh, California's lieutenant governor urges Secretary of State to explore legal options to remove former President Trump from California's primary election ballot. This so, so, he, so here's the thing. There are, I think, 13 other states that have litigation in the pipeline at one way or another on this. So the precedent that's set by the Supreme Court, which invariably this will end up at the United States Supreme Court, yeah. that has a dramatic impact. I have absolutely no doubt about the way that that is going to come down, not because there's a conservative majority, but because people can actually study law yeah. and apply it. And I, I expect it to be 9-0. Now, maybe it won't, and that'll be an indictment on the left side of the court, if that is the case, but it should be. Totally agree. And once it is, then all that shit falls away. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like 13 other states that are in the process of doing this, which is, you know, Fantastic. Good for you for entertaining insanity. But it's going to go away at some point. But also, the thing is, is yes, it's insanity. And the real problem that I'm seeing on like a macro level is how much the Overton window is being pushed yeah. by the left. You're 100% right. I mean, so, you know, a group I constantly mention, one of these left-wing dark money groups, um, that was run by Brian Fallon. Yeah. They're dedicated to packing the court. Uh, demand justice. Demand justice. Yeah. And now... Brian Fallon just joined the Biden campaign. <laughs> so this is someone with an extremely radical view of th the entire purpose of the group that he ran. He was the head of it is to pack the court is now within the Biden campaign. Yeah, they have mainstreamed this idea. You've seen um, many journos uh, backing this idea of like, oh, well, you know, the Supreme Court has an ethics issue. There is no ethics issue whatsoever in the Supreme Court. They followed every law and regulation that is there. And the, the, the journalists have gone so far as lying and saying that there is no code of ethics in the Supreme Court. There absolutely is. It's the same one that applies to every federal court. Well, and they've since adopted formally Even the further. old one federally. And, and You know what I mean? They, they, they said that they they operate underneath the entire code of ethics, ethics that applies to federal court system, although it's not specifically named. But since then, Chief Justice Roberts has said, now we formally... Yeah. do so like all of that argument is complete bullshit and then you've seen uh again left-wing dark money funded ProPublica pushing these articles which are ex essentially just like lies and smears yeah. right and uh there was a famous one that they they tried pushing a few months ago against justice alito yeah and before the story was 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 put up he released a statement saying that hey uh some publication is going to spread lies about me here's the facts um proving that everything they say is a lie. And then you saw left-wing journals being like, wow, this is unprecedented. A Supreme Court <laughs> justice is having to put out a statement that seems like they're corrupt. Yeah. Like, we are in a very terrifying situation where dark, the left is united yeah, it, on going after the Supreme Court because they see the value there. The Supreme Court, which the Constitution is enshrined to interpret and defend the Constitution. So that is, for the left, a very big problem because... They don't like following the Constitution. They don't like having to follow any rules that cannot be enforced by a mob that they send. Yep. Yep. I and, think and I th that, that's the whole push right here. They've gotten the Colorado Supreme Court to do their bidding. And, and like Duncan said, in the article, CNN is saying, this is the political punishment he deserves. Yeah. Thank you, court, for giving political punishment. That's what the left wants federally it's at the Supreme Court. 13 and 13 states want that same thing. And so I think you're 100% right about the lawfare on the left and this dark money nexus that is pushing all of that sort of stuff. I just sort of, I like, I take a, a, a longer view on all of this 
and think about like what they've done at the state court level. And I think, you know, for the conservative movement, um, you know, the Supreme Court and our success there was a 40-year project. And I think for everybody listening to this, like you have to realize, um, even if you're extremely conservative, that the only way that we've gotten to where we are now with the United States Supreme Court is through the work of broad majorities that we were able to build in the United States Senate over cycle and cycle and cycle. Colorado, for example. There There are three reasons, three reasons alone that Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot at all. Yeah. The first is after the death of Anton Scalia, that McConnell chose to keep the seat open and not confirm Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. The second is the confirmation of Gorsuch. And the third is the choice in October of 2020 to confirm ACB. Yeah. Without those three choices and without Senate majorities that were able to actually get that done, he's not on the ballot. And, 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 that's, and that's the end of this story. It's not like you can interpret that any other way. Way. And, and, and Senate majorities that aren't just made up of the the Ted Cruz, Mike Lee's of the world. That's Susan very, Collins. Very conservative members, uh, moderate members like Susan Collins. Think of Colorado. Without Susan Collins. Colorado. Yeah. Cory Gardner. Without Cory Gardner. If we wouldn't have Cory Gardner vote for Amy Coney Barrett, where would we be right now? Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And I, I know that's not popular with a lot of the conservative base, but like... I just ask you to take a long view of this stuff and realize that some of the people who you might not agree with 100% of the time stood in the breach in a very difficult circumstance that give us a shot now. And there's no ticker tape on the back end. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. nobody nobody remembers that. But those the series of decisions that were made over that course of time are the only reason that Donald Trump will ultimately end up on this ballot. Yep. That's an amazing thing if you're a Trump supporter. You got to think about that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty significant. Pretty significant. Can, can I say one completely semi-unrelated thing? You'd mentioned Justice Scalia in one of these like uh, smears that ProPublica put out. They had a photo. They're like, Justice Scalia went on a fishing trip to Alaska, <laughs> right? And they like attacked him for it. And the photo they have is of him from the fishing boat reaching out and like hitting an iceberg to get some ice for his drink. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so you're going to make him look cooler? <laughs> <laughs> they, you know what's funny about the left is they do that no matter what. They make Republicans more electable and and individuals cooler. Yeah. Right. And every time they do And you couldn't like fucking pay these people to go on a fishing trip. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And they're like, this guy is in deep with the moneyed interests. And yeah. it's like, dude, you wouldn't fucking go on a fishing trip. <laughs> dorks <laughs> unbelievable all right so let's get to our five stars here fellas um we don't have the voice to start out with which is a real shame you've noticed uh today he's taking a much well-deserved trip with his family here over the holidays but uh i think we should start with duncan okay this is from shecky pete from the pages of broads daily oh, uh, oh that was a esteemed publication Gentlemen, greetings from the Blueberry in a red state that is Austin. I've listened to and laughed with y'all for well over two years and never found the time to write in. That is until today. 
Mr. Smugglesworth's gem in today's episode about O'Sherry, my Sherry's article for Broads Magazine had brilliant comedic timing. Well done, Smug. Well done. We appreciate the light you shine on lib absurdity. Please keep speaking up for us. The no longer quite so silent majority. Merry Christmas, fellas. Love the program. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Absolutely. I appreciate that. I, I will say, you know, we all give each other a lot of shit. But Smug's timing on that shit is absolutely, absolutely, like it's, it's a team effort, man. <laughs> absolutely perfect. Broad daily, and I, I appreciate a shout out from Austin, my, my, my whole wife's side of the family's from Texas, and you know her, her family's in Austin. So I'm just, I'm very glad you're holding down the fort there. I know it's getting harder. Yeah, the food is great. The, the representation, not so much. Yeah. Uh, all right, Smug, what do you got? So this is from Andrew HJ84. Need a new Dunkin' drop off. Okay. Uh, guys, long-time listener, the pod has only gotten stronger. Appealing to Smug here, can we get a drop of Dunkin' reading the Susanna Gibson transcript? <laughs> Specifically, quote, yeah, you can watch me pee. <laughs> and, quote, so I'm allowed to get blanked in the blank. I'm allowed I mean, I think he'd be up for it. Well, I, uh, we, a dramatic reading? What do you think, old man? I mean, it'll have to be a, like a standalone episode so parents know this is like, you know, not one to drive around with the kids. Uh, Probably not a lot of advertising practice. on yeah, that one. Uh, not, advertisers aren't going to be pleased with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, did, I did some excerpts of it uh, in the episode in which we covered uh, <laughs> that. Um, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. I don't want to do it again, but if the people demand it. I will. You did review the tapes, though. You had to make sure you were historically accurate. I did not see the tapes. <laughs> I did not see the tapes. The tra- the transcript itself was very and who, graphic. Who was it? Was it the caller who had it? Who got that? Uh, oh, gosh, I don't know. Who? I mean, I don't remember who got kudos it. Kudos to them. That could not have been fun. I do remember uh, a research assistant sending me the raw, uncut footage, uh, and, uh, which for, for historical and significant purposes i reviewed because i wouldn't want to mischaracterize well of course and in in, in a a way you have to bear witness to that because you then have publications putting out that like this was a video stolen from the dark web (laughs) what or someone putting it up themselves and saying donate to my campaign i can assure you there was no ai interference (laughs) whatsoever in that authentic publication All right, so the third one. Boy, this one's a real book, but it looks great. Uh, this is Conservative Normal Mom of Six. Uh, be fruitful and multiply and fly. First, fellas, as someone who works in the world of politics, thank you. Your sane and light take on what can often seem as an insane and dark place. We appreciate you. Now, for the reason I write today. My husband and I are your average God-fearing mid-30-something lawyer types. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. We are black and white rule-following who believe in the meaning of the text as it is written. Good oh, lawyers. God. That's, that's the kind of lawyers we look for. Naturally, therefore, the call to be fruitful and multiply means that we have six kids in five and a half years. Wow. And two sets of two sets of twins. Two sweats, two sets of twins doing the math. Wow, that's incredible. Boy, that, oh boy. Dude, that could not have been easy whatsoever. They're seven and a half, six, three and a half, three and a half, two and a two and a quarter, two and a quarter. 
Yikes. Can you I, imagine what that household is? I, I hope you have family close by. Holy cats. I can only imagine what the holidays are like. Listen, it's going to be really fun at some point, but right now it seems like a real chore, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, and again, so uh, my good friend David C. Wright, who has great parenting advice, says that it the level of difficulty goes up exponentially once you're outnumbered. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and now they're in triple coverage. It's six to two. I mean, they're not even in zone. No. <laughs> it's, it's, you're, you're, in you're in a full-on prevent defense. <laughs> there's like a... There's there's like a Tampa two, and that's it. Yeah, it's like just prevent defense. All day. Just, I'm, like just don't let a hail mary. Like you don't, like you don't get a band aid unless you broke a leg. <laughs> a deep Tampa two. Uh, here's the kicker: we will be boarding a nonstop cross country flight from Florida to LAX on Christmas Eve with all our children. Smug, are you shaking yet? That's a tough flight. That's a tough flight. <laughs> we'll be booked flights. The airline website crashed every time we tried to put each. Uh, flyers info blatant large family discrimination yep no question yeah the load time on those is insane totally nuts because you can't actually get the yeah the information if you're doing six i know you know uh we eventually reloaded the page enough times to trick the ai bot into allowing us to proceed we feel prepared we have six tablets armed and ready we'll have snacks i'm bringing treats to bribe the flight attendants and uh, it's all lining up the only thing missing Smug sharing the row with our two oldest who will have to sit in front of us. One big happy family. I'll be live Instagramming the journey, probably to keep myself jovial and sane about the inevitable chaos. I just couldn't help but loop the fellas in for what will be what will end up being one of the biggest undertakings of my life. One which Smug would view it should be unlawful. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you could go work for the airlines and keep families off the website and from booking these tickets in the first place. Regardless, wish us luck. Say some prayers. Uh, this will be just as much torture for me as the other passengers on the plane. See, that is the... It's true. The, it, actually, no, it's much not. more. Yes, it is. Much more. Not close. Much more. Who don't have the inconvenience uh, themselves with keeping up with six small humans alive. In the meantime, we'll be keeping the faith, holding the line, and owning the libs, and teaching six small humans to do the same. That's true. Merry Christmas. What a wonderful, wonderful five-star. I just love it. Honestly, that's how we win. Because on the left, all they are is miserable and living alone with a cat. And meanwhile, you've got patriots having six kids. Yeah. Raising them right. Yep. Yep. No question about it. All right, so let's get to uh, who won the week. Uh, typically, we go around the horn. We've broadened the scope here over the last couple of weeks, but yeah, we'll see what we get. Old man, what is your thoughts on who won the week this week? This one's sort of tough. <clears throat> um, but I got to go Donald Trump. Hmm. I got to go Donald Trump for all the reasons in uh, our first segment. Um I think this reinforces this entire argument of his campaign. It gives him an air of inevitability and um, reinforces to Republican primary voters that the um, all the attention and the target is painted on his back, um, which I think ultimately benefits him in a place like Iowa. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's uh, it's tough for for everybody else running against him, yeah. you know. And we've seen this uh, since. They all got in the race and in the spring and, and summer of the year uh, as all these indictments dropped and his numbers went up is um, 
you know, when he's the center of attention and he's dominating the, the headlines, uh, he benefits from that. And uh, I have to think he'll benefit from this. And for that reason, he's my winner of the week. Uh, that's a good. I, I can't argue with any of that rationale. Smug, what do you got? Um, I, I, I think that's a great pick. You know, Trump definitely had a significant impact on the week. I think winner of the week is me. This, wow. I mean, so, you know, we're right around the corner from Christmas. I've gotten so much done this week for our listeners. The amount of content <laughs> that I've put out there is going to carry folks through the holidays. Like, this is the thing, folks. Other podcasts are going to be like, oh, like, you know, we're going on vacation. We don't go on vacation here. It does not happen. We will give you content every day you are promised that content. And, and it's all I'm because winner, of the hard work of comfortable. I made it happen. I made it happen because we love our listeners so much. And like, yes, Christmas is a terrific holiday. You should enjoy it with your family. Spaghetti just had four valves. And, and then, you know, if you have to do like an emergency run to the grocery store or something, throw on the show because we're going to be there for you. Because on my watch, we always publish. <laughs> yeah. I love that take. I love that. You're right. There's elements of truth. The best part about Smug is there's elements of truth always mixed th in, which is well, it's so good. We'll always have content. I wouldn't exactly say he's the, the foreman. <laughs> the driving force. You know, you know, cracking the whip to get us to do it. Yeah. Usually and, it's the in opposite. In fact, in this episode, Wolf has been working for two hours to get us to do it. Right. He's actually been, like, sweating. Yeah. I've watched his anxiety level go up. <laughs> like... Like from seven to nine and but, a half. But also, in all seriousness, man, we love our listeners so much that we record. We don't take a day off. We have not like. No, we want to give you your since stuff. we launched. We have not missed Thanksgiving. Never Christmas. No holidays. We've never missed an episode. Not an episode. You get a Tuesday, Thursday. That's what we said. Period. That's what you get. That's what you get. Oh, it's so good. And you know, like Wolf's blood pressure be down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my winner of the week is Nikki, and the reason that it's Nikki is because of that. Um, the first the New Hampshire poll that came out, they Huge showed her at 29. Poll. That's the first game-changing poll. We talked about it Tuesday, so we don't need to go into it, but that's the first game-changing poll that we've seen. It could be an aberration or it could be something serious, but it is a game-changing poll. And then there was an Emerson poll that came out yesterday that showed her leading in Iowa. If she gets second in Iowa and second in New Hampshire – or, you know, close to Donald Trump in, in Iowa. That, that's a game-changing situation. And you'll look back on this week as a week that ultimately changed that dynamic. Now, it could all be an aberration, and Ron DeSantis could do what Ron DeSantis has said he's going to do and put in a strong performance in Iowa. And that could negate all of this. But as of right now, without any data other than the polls, it seems like a strong week to me. No, no doubt. Well-reasoned. No doubt. Uh, okay. Fellas, I think we should play a game. And it feels weird not having the voice here to play it. It does. Because, I mean, like, there's no announcer. There's like, no announcer. Strange. I mean, this, I, you know, I tried saying we should have some respect for our friend Ashbrook. But you, you guys demanded we continue, so I guess we're going to have to soldier on. Well, I'm a, I'm a judge that believes, as our listeners do, in a strict construction and uh, we say we play this and Thursday, and we're playing it. So who do we got? Well, uh, I have the defending champion. I think the two-time defending champion now, Sherry My Sherry, Sherry Jacobus. Mm. <laughs> A two-time. Yeah. 
And okay. S- and Smug, you're our challenger. Who do you have? Bill Crystal. Bill okay. Crystal. All this, right. This is, I think, maybe the first time in history that we will not be going ringside. Oh, yeah. And geez. that's so sad. And yep. I'm sorry for the listeners. It's but a real it is shame. What it is. You know, if, if Wolf and Spaghetti were really working on it, they would just go back and pull. You think there was a time that Crystal and, and Sherry played? Yeah. Well, you could pull one or the other. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't work hard enough. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's do it. Okay. Round one. And that means I have to go first. What do I pick here? I've got so much. Okay. I've got it. I need, uh, please, Nikki, uh, exhibit two. And I want the listeners to know I don't also don't have a bailiff, so I will be extrajudicial. This this court could get out of control. <laughs> I could be extrajudicial. Okay, uh, so this is a quote tweet from Sherry Jacobus. Um, I will sort of distill the the tweet that that she's quote tweeting. Um, it basically talks about um, McCarthy and Ukraine, uh, and basically the whole the whole funding thing and and how that might have been involved in his speakership got it in the whole fight sherry quote tweets it and says putin wanted mccarthy gone parenthetical i think putin pays donald trump and gates followed orders parenthetical via trump johnson is bought and paid for in rubles it may have been short-sighted for Dems not to help McCarthy and get something out of the deal. Wait, hold on. Johnson? Yeah. Now Speaker Johnson yeah. is bought and paid for in rubles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. The, that's new. This is, I mean, this, no, it's the garden variety of, like, Russia. No, no, no. Yeah. Everything, I was ready to garden variety it. No. I was ready. Right. The Johnson, for me... The Johnson is bought and paid for in rubles well, is, it, is brand new. And that's the great thing, is it's like, the next guy... Uh, Putin. Rubles. Everybody. Putin. Putin's <laughs> puppet. Everybody is Putin's puppet. The next as, guy. As if we haven't disproven all of it. Uh, okay. All right. Smug, what do you got? Can I get Exhibit 9, please? This is from Bill Crystal. Uh, it's, quote, retweeting a tweet which mentions that when Senator Tuberville was asked about what he thought of Trump's, quote, poison. I'd like you to comes. characterize it if you sure. could. And I'll just read the tweet now. Uh, from Bill Crystal, the average immigrant contributes so much more to this country than Senator Tommy Tuberville. And so I think this is important on a number of levels because this is a classic example of the left, and Bill Crystal, make no mistake, is firmly on the left at this point, of calling illegal aliens immigrants. Yeah. These are immigrants, and they contribute so much more to this country. So this is a rationalization for an open borders policy, which has led to chaos, mayhem, drug trafficking, human trafficking, women getting raped at the border, wait, drugs wait, wait, coming wait, wait, in, fentanyl okay, coming okay. in. Wait, 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 but on. it's important to put all that in context because all of that is being excused as, yes, the fentanyl deaths in America, yes, the human trafficking, all of this contributes more to this country than Senator Tommy Tuberville. Sherry says- It's that, an outrage. Sherry says that the Speaker of the House it's is bought and paid for in rubles. <laughs> I just- and and that Putin orchestrated the oust, ouster of McCarthy. Putin orchestrated the ouster of McCarthy. And I just got feel like Speaker Johnson. The U.S. In. Senate is important. Well, I don't can I get the second? Can I get the second? Twi- the the smug uh, exhibit nine. 
exhibit nine back up, please, because I need I need a, a second look at the context here because I what this is in reference to for our listeners is Tuberville basically defending the Trump comment of poisoning the blood of our country, which of course every single left-wing lunatic, rather than having a problem with the border at all, is constituted into some kind of Nazi uh, propaganda and alleging that this guy is a, a, a racist. Like, never mind the fact that the problem exists. Like, uh, it's the talking about the problem that's the issue. Uh, but all of that is to say that the people who are crossing the border contributes so much more to the country than a sitting United States senator uh, who won the SEC and was also <laughs> a credible football coach. Um, that's hard to swallow. Uh, let's pop one more time on the other one. Uh, exhibit two. Oh, it's just the the Johnson the Johnson piece. I, oh, it's it, the just, thing is, it's also just like not only is it garden variety Russia, 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 it's garden variety sherry. It's like just Speaker Johnson is bought and paid for in rubles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen that from anybody on the left yet. This is a hard guys. I, it's been a long time since I've been a judge where I've had to determine whether or not somebody illegally crossing our border is more important contributing more than the United States Senator or whether or not a new Speaker of the House, a God-fearing man, uh, is somehow bought and paid for in rubles. Mm. Um, but I think where I'm coming down on this is... Uh, I, I'm going to go with the immigrants. I'm going to wow. go with the immigrants on wow. this one. I'm going to go... Only because there was too much of the setup that... Felt garden variety yep. with Sherry Macherry. Yeah, wish wish we had a bailiff. No, that's an excellent ruling, and it's the truth. So that's that's where we are. Wow. Smug, let's see round two. Uh, exhibit five, please. This is from Bill Crystal. Trump promises the federal government will indemnify all police and law enforcement officials for, quote, strong actions against crime, and says this is, quote, a big thing and brand new and so important, which it is if you really want to put a nation on the road to authoritarianism. <laughs> Folks, this is the next step. I Not don't only think. are we, uh, you know, defund the police, but if you try to fund the police, that's authoritarianism. <laughs> I want, I, I, like, I want everyone to think about what the media has been doing lately. I, I saw Phil Bump tweet the other day: "Crime's actually down. Why, why, why are Americans believing? It's an that amazing new thing that they're doing. They're trying to gaslight Americans. Don't believe your lying eyes." Don't 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 listen to these stories about how in D.C. they're saying, oh, uh, we'll give you a free air tag because 17 cars are getting carjacked a day. <laughs> and nobody and so, goes downtown. So the crime's down. And All so right. Great, it, it, great, if, great job. If, everybody. if you try to support the police. Well, that's authoritarianism. Oh, we really need a bailiff <laughs> that's authoritarianism. Right this is a filibuster. It's unbelievable. I, 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 first of all, I resent uh, counsel's accusation that this court is out of order, I but I will allow you to, to have a rejoinder and clearly present your case. All right. Well, that seems sort of garden variety if we're talking about garden variety. But Now he's making uh, fun of you. Exhibit number four, please, wow. Nikki. I don't care for the tone. Yeah, bad tone. Um, first of all, what I love about this 
tweet is it is specifically a subtweet <laughs> of my opponent in today's game. Okay. Sherry Jacobus writes, We have a Trump SCOTUS because resistors trusted smooth tweeting fake never Trump Federalist Society operators. We have a GOP house because resistors trusted clever videos by never Trumpers who stuffed your money in their pockets instead of spending it to air ads to elect Dems. What she is specifically subtweeting is the network of never Trump operators on Twitter who take money from dark money left-wing groups to change their opinions. And chief, Bill Crystal's like among them paid for. is Bill Crystal. Yeah, sure. This is a subtweet That's clever. That's of, clever. of Bill Crystal. That's pretty clever. It's 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 actually sort of remarkable. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. This is a le level of intellectualism. It's a co I did not believe that Sherry Jacobus was capable entire, of, of doing. Entirely cogent. It, That's wild. It's different than all of her other tweets. Is what she's actually expressing here is a nuance to political alliances that have happened in the Trump uh, period. Because I'm an I've always seen enough. honest. She wins. Yeah, I'm, I've seen enough. She's she wins. I'm that, always that is, honest. And that, that is, is a brand new. It's new. Absolutely different take She's from ne Sherry. Never, never and, done that and, before. And I don't know if she laid off the five o'clock wine or what happened, but that was something else. Yeah, honestly, that was not garden variety. I didn't I've see never that seen coming. that facet of Sherry Jacobus. <laughs> I mean, on, good ruling. Good uh, okay, let's go back to the champion. Well, this isn't about Sherry Jacobus, and I'm not going to comment on her sobriety or anything like that, but I would suggest, perhaps, uh, to quote uh, what, Pulp what, Fiction. What, what exhibit are we going to? No, we're to? not talking about an exhibit. I'm just commenting. Uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, there's that great Samuel Jackson sure. line. Uh, I had what the al what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so... Uh, for round three, given our our, our first uh, segment in the episode, I have to play exhibit number one. Mm. Oh, God. Sherry Jacobus writes, Our long national nightmare could end in a heartbeat if SCOTUS weren't corrupt. Oh, my God. <laughs> a reminder to be responsibly distrustful of those who pretend to be on our side in order to get Never Trump support for <laughs> Kavanaugh so Susan Collins would vote to confirm him. Clever tweets aside. Oh, my God. What I love, what I love about this is it's the liberal version of um, if only Mike Pence had the courage to do the right thing. It is. It's What she's saying is that that Colorado State Supreme Court ruling should be affirmed by the United States Supreme Court, and then we could end Donald Trump as a presidential candidate our long national nightmare <laughs> interesting all right smug let's hear your presentation uh so this is bill crystal he's commenting on an article which i think is the new york times opinion which had uh saying that the secret of trump's appeal isn't authoritarianism it's moderation saying that wait is this exhibit seven what yeah oh, exhibit seven i'm so sorry yes uh exhibit seven thank you for that judge um there was that new york times opinion piece saying that trump's a moderate and uh, Bill Crystal is mad about it, and he tweets, To be sure, many American conservatives are far more interested in rationalizing or excusing or simply defending authoritarianism than in standing against it. This is in the wake of seeing this government, which has sent FBI agents after moms who show up 
at school meetings, uh, labeling Catholics a uh, terror group um, who are in the process of trying to remove their political opponents from the ballot in states, and that CNN is saying that, oh, they are deserving of political punishment. We need the courts to give political punishment. Mm. Bill Crystal says that's not authoritarianism. Conservatives are the authoritarians, and they defend it. My, my only closing statement is is thus, is, is the winner the guy who talks about authoritarianism or the Sherry uh, who recommends doing it and says this Scottish should end Donald Trump as a political candidate? Do we have handy, and I can I can pull this up on my own, but uh, I, I'd like to pull up the Crystal tweet one more time. Exhibit 7? Yeah, Exhibit 7. Uh, and do we don't have a link on that particular one, do we? This one right here, you're looking for the New York Times article? Yeah. What I'm looking for is, so for the benefit of the audience, he is quote tweeting somebody named Bill Gruskin, who says, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest, to be sure, paragraphs in journalism history. Uh, and then he, he's got something, and I can't see on that particular exhibit what it is that he's referring to. I'd like to see it in order to know exactly the context that we're talking about here, because I want to be fair about this. Okay, I've got it. I've got it in front of me. Uh, to be sure, Trump's wild rhetoric, indifference to protocol, and willingness to challenge expertise have been profoundly unsettling to people of both parties. His term in office was frequently chaotic, and the chaos seemed to culminate in the Capitol riot of January 6th. In current presidential campaign, Trump promised uh, to appoint a special prosecutor to go after Mr. Biden. He continues to argue... Okay, I think I get the gist. So the gist is the to-be-sure piece of this is like making fun of somebody who's sort of summarizing what they see as unpardonable offenses. Mm -hmm. And his response to that is, to be sure, many American conservatives are far more interested in rationalizing or excusing or simply defending authoritarianism than standing against it. Wow. It's such a wallop. Especially in the face of like what, but that context is necessary. It's, it's not quite a wallop like saying the Supreme Court should make Donald Trump ineligible to run for president. Can I get one more shot at the what exhibit is it? Seven. Exhibit one. Our long national That's nightmare. Over. Sherry wins. There we go. Robbed. Stolen again. It's over. Stolen again. It's over. It's over. Three it's times. Over. Hail to the thief. I, I'm, we got to put up the, the MJ, the MJ with the trophy, with the three. You know what we should do is we should go to an honest judge. Well, one you know, who isn't corrupt. Oh. You, know what's so, you, know what's so, you know what's so unbelievable about you son of a bitch. You know, I'll tell you, what, I'll tell you what's so terrible about this is that I gave you the full benefit of the doubt by, by trying to he even read the article an exhibit lies. To that you didn't bring in. I was very close to calling for the bailiff again. Well, I, I'll i be frank with you. If you had, you had lost. The, the, <laughs> you would have lost. But you were right on the line. You were right on the line. I'd uh, like uh, you uh, to know that I, I have a blindfold over my eyes. I know, and I respected it. I have my blindfold over my eyes. The crooked deep state and their lawfare... Yet again. Oh, my comes God. Comes after conservatives. That's just, this That's is all robbed. outrageous. I think, Duncan, we got to go to this uh, interview. Yeah, let's go to uh, Judge Calabrese. I want to welcome to the program, great friend of the program, 
a great man of Ohio, which I got to hear a lot from Ashbrook, so I figured I got to bring you in. Judge Calabrese, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. The other part of Ohio. (laughs) Cleveland, not Cincinnati. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, with all of the Cincinnati talk on the show, it's only fair uh, that Cleveland gets its due. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Cincinnati's third uh, in, you know, it's Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. Yeah. There's a reason it's it's in that order. Um, <laughs> and I, I noticed that Mr. Ashbrook did not bother to show up to argue otherwise. Yeah, right. Exactly. And he should have to pay for that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, he, uh, he does. But I, I, I did bring a couple of things for you. We, oh, so I wonderful. brought you the, the Taste of Cleveland, Great Lakes, yes. Christmas ale. It's the Christmas season officially now yes. that we're past Halloween. Uh, for Smug, who I figured wouldn't be here, I know he likes to read. I know he's a big, big fan of the Federalist Papers. So oh, I brought a big. That is so great. Big, big leather copy of the Federalist Papers oh, for Smug. Uh, no doubt he will have it dog eared in no time. You uh, know? I'm, I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, there'll be a quiz. You can tell him there'll be a quiz. Yeah, yeah. I'll have the uh, U.S. Marshal bring it to him. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Um, well, you know, the reason why we wanted to uh, to bring you in uh, here is, um, you know, we like to sing and dance and entertain. And I think we're pretty smart about a couple of things. But what I do not know a ton about is the law. You know, um, I can read an indictment. Um, you know, I can follow it on the news. But the ins and outs of that is just, you know, something I don't know about. And like you're sort of an expert in that. You're a district judge. Uh, you were uh, um, you were confirmed uh, during Donald Trump's administration, right? Um, so you're a smart guy. I don't know about that, but I am a judge, and I do serve uh, in Cleveland and the United States uh, District Court for the Northern District of Ohio. Um, and so what were you doing before that? So before that, I was on the state court, mm-hmm. uh, state trial court in Cuyahoga County, uh, where Cleveland is. Mm-hmm. And uh, before that, I spent most of my career. Uh, in private practice doing complex commercial litigation. Wow. Multi-party litigation, class actions, product liability, lawsuits, things like that. I assume you're a big Browns fan. Yes. uh, It's too soon Mm -hmm. um, this week. So we, you know, won a good game and now our quarterback, uh, we don't have a quarterback anymore. So it's too soon. It's too soon to talk about. Well, I mean. And actually, I'll tell you, in, in practice, I did represent the Browns for a time. You did? Yes. Get out of here. That must have been fun. Um, yeah, it was challenging. 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 Yeah. Um, you know, probably the most interesting thing I learned from that process is the least profitable thing that goes on in the NFL is actually playing a football game. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, but it's a fascinating uh, industry. Huh. Wow. That's wild, man. Um, well, they stole a game from my Colts. I don't know what you're talking about. Unbelievable. Uh, the uh, you the know, phantom look, pass interference? Yeah, he pushed him like right out of the end zone. A totally catchable I, ball. I, 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 <laughs> I don't think Optimus Prime could have caught that ball. <laughs> Dude, he would have had eight points. I don't know what you're... It would have been like... It would have been like the iconic, you know, uh, people, the NFL would be advertising it 25 years from now. And like you're... Cornerback uh, maliciously interviewed. Like he's lucky no one was hurt. <laughs> oh uh, well, let's just let's get right into it. Uh, uh, may- maybe before we okay. do, I have one other message. My okay. my, you're you're mostly not responsible. Another message for for Smug. My my people wanted me to to send a word. The Italians. 
there's been some rumors about some anti-Italian uh, sentiment, so I <laughs> it, it couldn't let that pass yes. without without comment. I'm, I, it's I, been noted. I'm I'm glad to be able to give you a platform for this. Um, I've got a guy. He's gonna he's gonna talk to your guy. Yeah, <laughs> you need to get get us like a fish and some newspaper or something. Well, look, you know, it's, that's not too subtle. There's there's some. Other- <laughs> There's ways these things get handled. <laughs> oh wow! Like a like a leave the gun, take the cannoli situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> no comment. Oh no comment. No comment. Um, well, you know the the specific reason I really wanted to to bring you in here is you know Donald Trump has all these indictments. I think he's been indicted ninety one times. There's going to be a lot of uh, court cases, especially the federal uh, cases upcoming next year. There is the uh, D.C., uh, the federal case on the 2020 election, uh, this like the Jack Smith case in uh, March. And I believe the Mar-a-Lago docs case is going to be in May. And that's uh, another federal uh, case. I mean, I don't know a ton about this. I know, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this, like probably, you know, haven't been under federal indictment. So it's a little bit of a different process. And so I just had a ton of questions about it. Yeah, no, I'm happy to answer those questions. I I guess the two things I would just put on the table up front are one, I'm I'm not, I'll I'll answer questions about the process generally. I Mm -hmm. don't know specifics about the the cases. Honestly, I have enough to do uh, (laughs) worrying about my own docket. You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy. Let alone anybody else's. But um, but I, I totally understand what you're saying because there's a lot of misconceptions, and I don't even think it's deliberate necessarily, but when the first indictments were in the air, I heard from a lot of people that, well, if he's indicted, he can't even run for president. Mm-hmm. But no, in fact, uh, we've had presidential candidates who have served, you know, run while they are actually in federal prison right. before. So there, there are just a lot of misconceptions out there, so I'm happy to try to clear those up. Yeah, so um, like when one of these uh, cases gets set for trial as a trial date, and I know there's some negotiation with that, um, you know, between defense and and uh, the prosecutors, and there's a you know process of discovery, and then the defense makes arguments about how much time it's going to take them to go through all of that and build, and have their case as well. But like then, once you get to the point of a, a scheduled trial date, how, does is it possible that it gets moved again? That there's another continuance? That all this process moves uh, further along into the calendar year? That is certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know every judge uh, manages his or her docket, you know as best as he or she can and and as appropriate on an individual case basis. Um, so really, that's going to depend on the particular judge. It would not surprise me uh, in any case if there is a lot of uh, sparring back and forth between the lawyers uh, and with the court uh, about whether that trial date should hold or not. Um, every judge has a different practice. My particular practice is if I set a trial date, I almost never move it. But I also don't set a trial date as early in the process as these trial dates have been set. Uh, it takes a lot of work to prepare for trial, so I, I would expect um, there to be argument down the road about whether those trial dates will hold, um, and whether they do or not will be up to ultimately the discretion of the particular judge. Got it. Got it. Um, so it's possible. It's possible it's, they it's get delayed. It's certainly possible. It's possible. They say, but they also, they, they, they made these trial dates very early along in the process that, for me, it felt like it was more in stone because of that. But you tell me. Well, yeah, I think 
so there's a lot about these particular cases that's different, and, and there's a few other issues that I suspect, you know, we might talk about that that bear on that. But typically, one reason I don't move trial dates when I set them is I try not to set them early in the process because until you find out what the issues really are, what the volume of discovery is, um, it, it's hard to know. Like you might get into it, and all of a sudden you find out that you're dealing with, you know, yeah, you know. 18 different sets of body cam footage mm-hmm. or some such thing and there's technical issues and there's hundreds of hours of footage for everybody to get through and it just takes time and you might not know that on day one got it the, the, these cases are a little bit uh, these these cases are not that mm-hmm. um so they're a little bit unique that way um you know whether these dates hold or not i i have no idea i have yeah. no prediction it's certainly possible that one or both of them uh, move back it's also possible that they uh, proceed as scheduled wow and, and so uh like for the Mar-a-Lago docs, for example, because you're talking about sort of the process of like evidence and discovery and all that sort of stuff. Like that seems to be the one. And I know there's a lot of boxes and files and stuff, but that seems to be the one that it's very clear what the context of like the evidence is. <laughs> you know, he had it. The government knew he had it. And and so the, the only wrinkle there, though, is some of this stuff in question is so sensitive it has to be viewed in a skiff you know right. which for our listeners is like a secure location that you can view classified information right and i even i saw some reporting recently that some of the documents were so sensitive that they couldn't even be viewed in the skiff they needed like mm. a super not a super skiff or something like that i have no idea what that even means i don't know it's either. like a giant faraday box um uh to look at some of the material so do you think that'll impact maybe that trial date uh, it, it 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 might again. I have no idea, and yeah. I know there's a whole statute that deals with this. I mm-hmm. did read it once um, when the case was first charged, just because I was curious to know about that statute. I have not personally had to deal with it, so I don't know how that impacts things. And, and look, I'll tell you, there's a very strong presumption in federal court of uh, the court being open to the public and yeah. people being able to come in and out and judge uh, the proceedings for themselves and judge the evidence for themselves. That that Mar-a-Lago case, as you suggest, uh, presents some real challenges for everybody in that. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, gets worked out. Um, I'm happy not to be in the position of having to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, and then the other thing that comes into uh, play on that is just, you know, there's interlocutory appeals possibly from some of those rulings, as I understand it. I might be wrong about that, but I think there's, there's certainly So expl- explain that to our audience. Yeah, my, my understanding, uh, and again, I, I'm happy to be told I'm wrong and, and other people would know better, but my understanding is that uh, because of the sensitive nature of some of these documents, um, that uh, the government, if a document's going to be used in open court, might be able to um, take an appeal um because once the document's made public, it, the information's out there, and it can right. never that bell can never be unrung. Right. And so the, the notion is, if if it's going to be used in open court and that's not proper, um, then the government should be able to take an appeal from that. And so that would take some time. Like for example, let's say you're like the CIA, <laughs> and maybe there's assets, uh, intelligence assets out there, you know, human intelligence that you've gathered from sources in a place like I don't know Iran. Right. That if that's open in open court, like suddenly uh, the Iranian government is tracking down a lot of people and people get killed and we lose assets. Yeah. I mean, there's real world consequences for these things. Uh, right. Like the analogy in more common 
day-to-day litigation, I certainly saw this in practice and still see it on the bench, is attorney-client privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's going to be a court order uh, to ordering uh, a document over which there's a legitimate claim of privilege be produced, um, in state court in Ohio, that uh, is subject to immediate appeal. It used to be in federal court, but the law changed on that some time ago. Um, but there's still ways you can deal with that in federal court. So, you know, it's a complicated issue and people are sensitive to it. I, I think in the Mar-a-Lago case, from everything I understand, it's going to be a hard issue uh, to deal with. Um, one, one thing the government can do is to try to present its case in such a way that they don't need sensitive documents and avoid that to try to get to the quick trial date. And that's some of the sparring Uh, some of the art of lawyering that goes into it, which is just fun to watch that is often lost on those who are not immediately in the process. But, you know, the flip side of that is then, you know, President Trump and his lawyers can try to use some of the confidential documents to say, look, I need to present this in open court in aid of my defense. And they're they're using that, number one, you know, to try to win the case. But number two is a delaying tactic, maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. Sure, perhaps. Interesting. But you're saying, like, the way the prosecutor could get around that is saying, well, I've got other evidence. Like, here's Donald Trump on tape saying, I'm holding the thing. Right. I don't have to show you the thing. C- correct. I can, we can describe generally what is the thing, and maybe they'll have testimony from somebody else in the room saying, yeah, it was the thing. Right? right? Yeah. It, no, I think that's right. There's ways to get around it. But then, you know, the defense side of that same uh, example you're using might be, uh, judge, I need to show the ladies and gentlemen of the jury right. what the thing and is. And typically, most judges, uh, w- would they want to offer the defense every opportunity to, to have its case heard. And so they typically sort of weigh on the side of the defense in those matters, right? Uh, I mean, typically- Hard to reason- tell with this, with this re- information. Re- reasonably, I mean, now the information is, it, it is- it, yeah. it is a little bit weird, yeah. but it's a it's a sui generis. I don't even know how to say that case, like, mm-hmm. you know, one of a kind case where um, it's a little weird to say, well, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you don't actually need to see this piece of evidence. Right. But like the flip side is everyone on this jury is going to have to have a national security clearance, <laughs> <laughs> which is, all, yes, there's there's multiple levels of competing uh, yeah. inc- complexities that are just impractical. Oh, man, that is just so wild. It's, so wild. Yeah. I mean, it's it, I mean, purely from a uh, intellectual standpoint, setting aside all the politics and the gravity of a criminal charge and all of that. It's just, it, it, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm, I'm glad other people are dealing with that and not me. Yeah. So uh, on that doc, Doc's case again, and you know, if you, if you listen to some of the people defending the former president, one of the arguments that they use is, look, this is just like the Clinton's Sox case. Um, you know, the Presidential Records Act will ultimately be hold in this decision um and um you know that's that's one of the legal defenses here it's like these are uh, in should be my possession because i was the president of the united states you know bill clinton had um audio tapes of his i think it was a memoir that was written with an author or something like that and and um that's their legal defense do you think there that thing will that that argument will have merit I, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know either the facts or the law around that. The one thing I will say about that that's a little bit unusual on the criminal side, in, in civil litigation, if you had that argument, there's multiple ways uh, without going to trial that you can raise that argument, uh, get it heard, develop a record, and get a ruling on it, again, all without going to trial. 
On the criminal side, it, it, those opportunities are much more limited uh, procedurally. So a lot of times, uh, in order to get a ruling on that, and again, I don't know the law, I don't know the particular uh, facts. I mean, I've seen what's been reported in the press on it, but that's mm-hmm. about all I know. Um, you know, so there's an argument there, but a, but a lot of times the only way to to get a hearing on it is to take the case to trial, and that's there's there's risk around that. Hmm. So you're saying like they couldn't just go to the Library of Congress or 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 to the government and be like, we think the Presidential Records Act holds in this matter, and these documents are ours. Could we get a ruling before you raid Mar-a-Lago, for example? They couldn't do that. Correct. They could, they could have maybe asked. I don't know. We, we no, don't know. Uh, no. So, uh, well, you would not be able to get a judicial ruling. There, there would be ways within the executive branch to get opinions about what the law is. Sometimes the executive branch is right. And, yeah. You know, and sometimes, from my perspective as a judge, sometimes the executive branch gets that right. Sometimes they get it wrong. But you can get a uh, an opinion within the executive branch. But there's no way to get a judicial ruling until there's a live case or controversy that actually affects people uh, and their interests uh, in federal court to get that ruling from a court. Interesting. I mean, I, <laughs> like my take on the whole thing is when they ask and then they ask again and then they're like, we know you have the thing. Here's a subpoena for the thing that you should typically just give it over back to the <laughs> government. <laughs> well, look, I mean, pe- people make their decisions whether yeah. they i mean there, we went through a period of time and it seems to have fallen off where it seems like every former high-level government official had classified had documents. documents everywhere and i don't know what that was Bi- about biden or, in the corvette and i guess pence had some too that or? sounds right based on what i saw in the press but right. y- 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 so i don't you know i don't know i don't know how that comes into play i don't know if those are if these are different uh for the former president or or not um, and, you know, perhaps there's arguments that he intends to make on that. Yeah. OK. Um, so let's say he is convicted in one of these cases. And we just saw the um, the fraud federal fraud case for SBF, the same right. Bankman Freed. Um, and, the, you know, he was convicted and then sentencing isn't until I think March of next next year. You know, and, you know, it's now. November. Um, so that's a pretty so long five, five months. It's a pretty long timeline. Um, if he is uh, convicted, do you think sentencing would happen before Election Day in these cases? Uh, so so again, it depends. Um, so the typical process from conviction to sentencing in federal court is that it takes a number of weeks, typically a few months, and it varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Right now in my court, it's about 14 weeks to go from uh, conviction to sentencing. Uh, there's a lot that happens in that period of time. There's a very comprehensive and extensive pre-sentence report that's prepared. The lawyers for each side have the opportunity to weigh in. Sometimes there's disagreements that have to be resolved at sentencing. Uh, sometimes those are easy to resolve, sometimes not. Um, so it can uh, slide backwards in time a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, there's a lot of discretion on the part of the sentencing judge, ultimately, who's also the trial judge um, in those cases. So she can set the sentencing much sooner if that's what she wants to do. Um, I do do that on occasion because, uh, to me, 14 weeks is a long time to wait mm-hmm. uh, to get to sentencing. Um, 
but I, I don't do it often. It tends to be in special circumstances uh, where we know a lot about um, the defendant or the offense, or there's not a lot in controversy uh, in terms of what's going to happen at sentencing. Even then, it takes about eight weeks. That's about the quickest you can do it. Now, there's a few things here that might mitigate that, One that, that which, which are not at all necessarily political. One is that if you think about, well, what do you need to know mm-hmm. um, about a, a defendant under federal law in order to impose a sentence? Um, you basically but, know everything about Donald Trump that you could possibly know, right? Exactly. And that's my point yeah. is like, you don't like, not a lot of us need to, you know, say, gee, I wonder what kind of upbringing he had, Yeah, you, you know, yeah. or, or what, it, like, we know what his assets are, like he's yeah. a billionaire, right? So yeah. we, we know, we know a lot about him already. It's not like waiting 14 weeks or, or 25 weeks or any amount of time. But in that intervening period, again, I don't, I don't know, but I've heard about stuff like this, like, you know, that's a period of time in which people who you know, support the defendant who was just convicted might have like a, a character impact statement or something that they submit to the court. And you read all of those as you're sort of thinking through the sentencing of this individual. Right? Yeah, yeah, that does like that, happen. That's, that sort of stuff is like probably not necessary in these cases. Maybe it is. Well, may, know. you know, I think it I think it might be. And, and frankly, one of the issues here is if you want to shorten the period um Beyond a certain point, uh, the rules in federal court require you to make a finding as the judge that you have enough information yeah. uh, to perform your sentencing, uh, you know, to do sentencing and, and properly discharge your obligations under federal law. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily expect that to happen. I do think that you would hear the defense art make an argument to that effect. Look, we need to hear from other people. Maybe they would intend to get a, a letter from you know other people who had classified documents yeah. saying, like, look, this is understandable or whatever. Um, and again, I think you want to probably not um, – you you probably want to err on the side of letting the defendant make the record mm-hmm. um so you can say you've considered everything um but if you if you play it out take like a may trial date so say like june 1 what's 5 months after june 1 june july it's August, november 1 roughly yeah. right you could like he could be sentenced right before the election that that Certainly possible. Oh my goodness! It's going to be that would be a decision up to the um, trial judge, and I think it would make a really difficult decision uh, for any judge sitting in that position because uh, obviously there would be political implications, right. and you'd be loath to um, put a thumb on the scale of correct. an election. So you might you think that it's actually possible they might delay a sentencing until after? Could certainly happen. But the flip side of that is they could uh, also just do it super fast because they're like there's this. National implications for this Co- future of correct. our country, and you could also be asking yourself, uh, why would I treat this defendant differently? Right? Like we all swear an oath mm-hmm. under the Constitution to do equal justice uh, under right. the law, and so you say, like, look, I, it, you know, if if a uh, defendant convicted of uh, laundering drug proceeds were convicted on the same date and the sentencing were November one, would I do it? Yeah, I wouldn't wait till after the election. So, like, you do have to ask yourself some of those questions. That's fascinating. And and so it could come out, again, I have no opinion on what the right thing, I have no idea what I would do. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what, what any judge in this situation would do. And frankly, I'm sure the judges involved are already thinking about it, just so that it's not something- Do you know, do you know any of these judges involved? I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, do, you can't like look in their head. I, I You cannot, don't have any in- inclination? I have, I, I have no inclination. Wow. I have no inclination. Um, 
uh, other than uh, better them than me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just glad it's not your problem. No, look, but I'm I, like I said, there's a lot of um, misconceptions or misunderstandings. Uh, mm. it's, it's, some of it is certainly motivated, but but a lot of it, I think, is just it's an unfamiliar system if you're not involved in it. Wow. Yeah. So I'm happy to try to kind of explain anything about how it normally works yeah. to, to try to help folks as, as you as you all process it. <laughs> and well, I'm just watching on the sidelines. I, I look, I, I appreciate it because, um, like I said, I think we're smart about a couple of things here and there, but definitely not this. This is complicated. It's, it's complicated under the best of circumstances, and um, we've not, as a country, been down this path before, so we're, we're all learning as we go. Awesome. Um, well, we always ask three questions, as you know. Yes. To all of our guests here on the Ruthless Variety program, the first of which, last meal on earth, what would it be? So, red wine. Okay. Uh, probably a Brunello or maybe something from the Willamette Valley. Oh, nice. Never had a bad wine from the Willamette Valley. Nice, I mean, like a Pinot Noir, maybe? Something yeah, like and everything from the Willamette Valley is, yeah. is good to great, so something like that. Okay. Um, go to the best sushi restaurant. doesn't matter where. Best sushi restaurant. And then uh, got to have dessert, of course. Yeah. Um, so that'll be my, my nod to Ashbrook. I'll go graders on dessert. I'm there a, you I'm go. In, I'm in a graders phase. Wow. Wow. Compromising in Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I We're about bringing people together. <laughs> what's uh, what's your sushi go to? Uh, there's a lot of places. Um, I should have looked up the name of it. There's yeah. a really good one in Austin. Oh, I've, I've been to. Nice. Are you My like, are you like a tuna guy? Do you like the sea urchin? You crazy? Uh, 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 all of it. All of it. Crazy is good. Like all of it's good. Wow. Awesome. Haven't had bad sushi. Um, like of that quality, it's <laughs> you get bad sushi at a gas station, I guess. Uh, if you uh, if you didn't get into this line of work and you weren't a phenomenal judge and a whale of a guy doing that, and you could plan your life and do whatever you want, blue sky, what would it be? Uh, well, realistically, it'd be practicing law, but in a world where anything, Ted, could... Ted Cruz is in the NBA, yeah. Then, um, <laughs> then my answer to that question is I'd be a conductor. A conductor? Yeah, I have no musical talent or ability whatsoever, but but isn't that a great job? Yeah. You wear a tux, so you, you dress while you walk out on stage, everyone applauds. Everyone applauds. Yeah. And you've got- and it's you've beautiful. Got, it, it feels like you got the easiest job in that situation. You know, I everyone's think it's a hard there. job. They're working hard, oh, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's a good job. But right, like, so. I see the guy blowing the tuba, and it's like, it looks like he's oh, yeah. about to pass out, and like, you're just like, <laughs> and people credit you. You're yep. organizing the whole thing. Yeah, so con- conducting would be great. Yeah. It's like a musical head coach situation. There you go. You know? There you go. I like that. Um, well, you know, this is the important one, the important question. All people are motivated, successful people, that is, by two things, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Which side do you find yourself on? The thrill of victory, Sonny Optimist, or the agony of defeat, Michael Jordan? Do, do, you, have a, do you have a read on me? I find uh, most people in the legal profession are agony of defeat people because part of putting on a good case is having to think about what the other side is going to be doing. Yeah. And you got to prepare yourself for their arguments and how they might take down your arguments. And so that is a motivation of like failing an open court where they destroy your argument kind of makes most lawyers agony of defeat people. 
Yeah. So the first time I heard the question, I just didn't even miss a beat. I went, oh, yeah, thrill of victory. Right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, there's, there's, it's great. Like you, you get a great result at trial or you win a mm-hmm. case or whatever, and it carries you for months uh, at a time. I mean, frankly, it has to. Yeah. Because practicing law is hard and demanding. Um, then the more I thought about it, I, I came around to you, your view. So the, the reality is, especially in this job, I remember every single thing I've done wrong. <laughs> And I try to be better about it. I, I try. I'm not saying I succeed. Um, the th- if I do anything well, I quickly forget about it. So, uh, yeah, definitely agony defeat. We turned you. We radicalized you <laughs> to the negative people. <laughs> you, you won me over. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Judge, I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming and visiting and with anytime. us. Anytime. Thank you. So, listen, This first of all, thank you yeah. to Judge Calabrese for coming in. Um We've had a number of jurists that have now <laughs> come to the Ruthless Variety program, which we appreciate greatly. Somebody like this who's is well thought of mm-hmm. in legal circles as, I mean, there's nobody, and I mean nobody left, right, or center, that questions his credentials and his understanding of the law and just giving us kind of a walkthrough. What a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, like, what a gift to our listeners. Seriously. Again. What it is it is ver- very rare that you listen to a podcast yeah where you can have judges like him come on and tell you what they think That's seriously incredible. that incredible. is a, a just for our listeners i know we talk a lot of bullshit on this show but like that is a rare thing to be able to get in, yeah in in podcast and let that be a message to you gorsuch yeah. and you kavanaugh <laughs> <laughs> to, to paraphrase yeah. Chuck Schumer, you ought to come on and do the same because that, honestly, that is fantastic. Yeah. This is stuff that you don't get anywhere else. Thank you for doing the thank interview, you. Michael. And, and he got and judge. he brought us he got us beer. He he brought us beer. He did he did the whole thing. What He's, a stud. He, great friend. Great, great judge. friend. Well, fellas, I think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. Again, a reminder, hit up YouTube, subscribe if you have not yet, see the videos on top of the audio that you enjoy. And thank you so much, Judge Calabrese. So, until next time, Indians, keep the faith, hold the line and on the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless. Stay ruthless.